Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us from the Weekly Standard is Steve Hayes, who has a terrific piece in the latest edition of the Weekly Standard, The Unraveling, about the story that the White House has been telling us about the Bo Bergdahl swap. Steve, what did you learn reporting the story, and what have you learned since? Well, I think sort of the main takeaway from the story is that many of the things that the administration has claimed in public about Bergdahl himself, about the prisoner swap with the five senior Taliban commanders, um, many of the claims that the administration made just turned out not to have been true or at the very least turned out to have been quite misleading. And we know that not because we've learned these things from Republican critics, but because administration officials have had to sort of double back on some of their claims, have had to abandon some of their claims, and have even had some of those claims challenged in classified testimony by senior intelligence officials. Can you give us an example of that latter one of the intelligence information not matching up with the White House was spinning? Sure. There was uh, one uh, intelligence official, the National Intelligence Officer for South Asia, who testified before Congress uh, last Tuesday and was asked about the likelihood that these five senior Taliban commanders would return to the fight and potentially present, present a threat to the United States in our national security uh, after their release. And this person said that it's very likely that four of the five will return to the fight uh, and present some kind of a threat. James Clapper, in testimony on Wednesday, was asked the same question about these five uh, freed members of the Taliban. And he said that he thought four out of five of those uh, senior Taliban commanders would almost certainly return to the fight. He said on a scale of one to ten, he'd say nine out of ten likelihood that they would return to the fight, and the other one would be an 8 out of 10. So I think there's virtually a consensus that they will return to the fight, that it's inevitable that they'll return to the fight, Uh, but you still have administration officials out there suggesting that they haven't, and and in the words, uh, again, just today of Marie Harf, the Deputy State Department spokesman, suggesting that the threat has been, quote, sufficiently mitigated. Well, you could argue that luxury villas in Qatar, which according to ABC, that's where they're going to be staying, will be enough. You know, maybe we can just distract them, Steve, with like widescreen TVs and plenty of access to cheap <laughs> liquor. Maybe that's the strategy. Well, you know, that's certainly not what we heard in uh, interviews that NBC News conducted with relatives of one of the senior Taliban commanders who said that he was committed to returning to the fight and returning to Afghanistan in a year and taking up arms against the United States and its interests. We've, we've heard that. Uh, of course, the welcoming committee, if you look at the, the, the press in Qatar, the welcoming committee, when those detainees returned or, or, or went to, arrived in Qatar, uh, included members of the Taliban. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just highly unlikely that these are guys who are going to sort of isolate themselves and and uh, operate in a way that is different from the way they were operating before they went in. And then there's the issue of what the White House has told us about Bo Bergdahl. As you know, one of the last stories they presented was, well, we had to cut this deal without telling Congress because we had to act immediately based on information from five months ago. The New York Times reporting today that the only health issues that Bo Bergdahl has physically are uh, skin and gum Disease. It's nice to know that the fight against plaque and gingivitis is guiding our terrorism policy, Steve Hayes. <laughs> it's, I mean, 
that was always felt like a stretch um, in the earliest days. And then there was a, a, a major article in the Wall Street Journal front page uh, that ran, I believe it was last Thursday. And that article detailed the administration's explanation, uh, heavily sourced to administration officials, of why there was this urgency. And what the journal uh, piece reported, as you alluded to, is that we had been given, the U.S. government had been given this video that showed Bergdahl in poor health that was uh, taken by the Taliban or the Haqqani network, passed through the Qatari government, but was taken in December of 2013, provided to the U.S. government in January of 2014, and that it was that video that required the U.S. government to act so urgent, urgently on May 31st. I mean, it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. And you, you've seen in the days since the administration, I think, trying to come up with alternate explanations, having been called on the flimsiness of that excuse. And what's gotten them in trouble is they're trying to explain to members of Congress why they did not provide this 30-day notification that's required by the 2014 National Defense Authorization Act. And they've had a very difficult time coming up with a reasonable explanation. And I think that's made members of Congress of both parties. And some of the most critical members of Congress have been Democrats, like Diane Feinstein, the chairman of the Senate Select Intelligence Committee, have been just brutal in their criticism on the administration. Uh, and so where is Congress in the time-lapse photography of revelations from the Obama administration about this trade? Well, they're not happy. The Senate had an all-Senate briefing uh, late last week, and by virtually all accounts, uh, they came out with more questions than they had answered in that session. The House of Representatives uh, is uh, at an all-House briefing on Monday evening, uh, where one expects that they will have probably some similar reactions, because the four administration briefers who weren't able to satisfy the Senate are far less likely to satisfy what is usually a more rambunctious and critical uh, House of Representatives. I understand that you've got some reporting going up on the Weekly Standard website today about who knew what when? I do. There's there's some interesting... I had some interesting conversations with sources who are familiar with the, the transfer uh, about when exactly folks knew about this. And this ties directly into the questions that we were just discussing about when members of Congress were notified, why they weren't notified uh, in advance. And... Uh, there are reports in the Qatari press that Qatari government officials were in Guantanamo as many as three days before the actual uh, transfer took place. <laughs> Excuse me. And there are also uh, reports, and uh, I've been told, and there are reports in the Associated Press, that detainees at Guantanamo may have actually known about the transfer, a transfer potentially who was being transferred, even before members of Congress found out. And if that uh, was the case, obviously, you would be hearing about that from members of Congress. So you're telling me that they had Khalid <laughs> Sheikh Mohammed on the speed dial above Dianne Feinstein? <laughs> I don't know if it was Khalid Sheikh Mohammed. And some of it may have just been that, you know, that, that these detainees pieced things together. There were, right. um, I was told there were security precautions taken in advance of the transfer uh, that allowed these detainees, some of them, to recognize that something was coming. Uh, there was a, uh, a lawyer for a detainee who said he spoke to his client and that the guards at Guantanamo had said, 
there was a hurricane coming, and so they had to take these extra precautions in order to prepare for this hurricane. But this detainee lawyer said, "Wow, nobody down there believed it. They all knew what was what was coming, and they knew this a day or two in advance." I do have to say, I reached out to a, a, a spokesman for the U.S. government, and this government official denies that there were any extraordinary uh, measures taken in advance of this particular transfer um, and and says that it, you know, he doesn't deny that detainees may have known about this in advance, but says that it, if that were the case, it wasn't because there was some major uh, change right. in preparations. One last question for you, Steve. Uh, the strategy from the Obama administration thus far on, on crises is instead of fixing it or ending it, they just simply wait for another worse crisis to appear and knock it off the page. The IRS scandal got bumped by Benghazi. Benghazi got bumped by uh, the VA. The VA got bumped by this. Have you seen any indication that the White House has a way forward on this? Or are they just simply going to keep insisting this was a good deal, even though poll after poll now shows that the more Americans learn about it, the more the less they like it. In particular, they really don't like the notion that this has endangered soldiers in Afghanistan who are now more likely to be kidnapped because ransom works. Yeah, I, I, I think that the White House is sort of reeling from the reaction to this. I think they, they expected to have some negative reaction to the to the release or transfer of these these Taliban members, but but were relatively unprepared for the reaction, the ferocity of the reaction uh, that met the details about Bill Bergdahl's um, disappearance from his uh, outpost and and uh, the comments that his platoon mates have made about him. What I think is is uh, very interesting to consider, and, and certainly if, if these reports are true, we're likely to have a big fight about this in the, in the coming weeks and months. The administration is uh, actively considering, or maybe even preparing, to quickly release more Guantanamo detainees or transfer them to third-party countries. Uh, and I think that what we saw with this particular transfer was, in effect, a blocking maneuver, where they got these five senior Taliban commanders out in front. They knew that they were going to be getting a major response, major reaction, uh, probably had a major fight on their hands by doing that, and that having this fight about these guys at this time might make it easier for them to release other Guantanamo detainees who may not have the same threat profile uh, as these folks do. There are 78 detainees in Guantanamo right now who have been already cleared for transfer. There are 48 Guantanamo detainees who were initially uh, categorized as indefinite detention. Uh, that number now goes to uh, 38 because there had been a couple that died and, and a couple others who had been transferred earlier. So there will be 38 remaining uh, who are still labeled indefinite detention. So this makes this even greater challenge for the administration. But having said that, do you have any doubt based on the actions of the administration thus far that they are going to leave Guantanamo Bay empty when the Obama administration ends, regardless of the threats, regardless of the politics, regardless of how it may endanger people abroad? Uh, I, I certainly think that's the president's objective. He wants to do it by the time he leaves office. I spoke to a member of Congress today who had been told that the administration wanted to do it by the end of this calendar year. Um, which uh, would certainly cause uh, quite a stir. And you can understand why other Democrats might prefer the politics 
of doing it this year. Uh, basically, the Senate doesn't look good for Democrats going into 2014. Um, you could see after those elections a real push to, to, to get people out of Guantanamo into third countries, repatriated to their own countries. Um, and that way you do it in such a way that whatever effect it has on Democrats' electoral prospects in 2016, whether at the presidential level or, or, or otherwise, um, there would be at least you know those two years removed um, from the president actually having done this. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.